Let's take our Bibles. We're going to go to two places this morning. Ephesians chapter number 2. Mark, make that Matthew chapter number 16. We'll read just a couple of verses in Matthew and then we will read several in Ephesians. Stand together this morning in reverence of the Word of God. Matthew chapter 16. Extremely familiar passage here in Matthew. Go to verse number 16. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Ephesians chapter number 2. We'll start in verse number 1. We'll read several verses skipping around in the chapter. Ephesians chapter number 2, verse number 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And two words that you should have underlined, circled, highlighted as much as you can, verse number four, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. The first three verses shows what condition we are in. Verse 4 tells us what happened, and verse 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9 tell us what's going to happen. Verses 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And verse number 10 starts to tell us why it happened. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Why? Unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That's talking about the good works. It's not talking about salvation, all right? You weren't foreordained to be saved, all right, you were foreordained once you got saved to live in good works. There's a lot of good verses, but we're going to skip on down to verse number 18. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And here's our text verses and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together. Why? For an habitation of God through 
the Spirit. This morning I'd like to preach just a few minutes on this thought. Necessities for longevity in the church. Necessities for longevity in the church. I don't know about you guys, I like my church. I don't like my building necessarily because I have to put a lot of work into it, although it is a great building. But I don't say that in reference to the building. I say that in reference to every person standing in front of me right now. And those of us that can't be here this morning included, I love this church. I love the direction of this church. I love the pastor and his leadership for this church. I cannot... With all honesty, I can stand here today and without a doubt say there's not a single person in this church I'm not thankful is in this church. I can honestly say that. You call it naivety, you call it what you want. I'm glad and thankful for this church. I love every person in this church. And I'll be honest with you, I want this church to be here after I'm gone. This town needs this church. This country needs this church. This world needs this church. And I want this church to outlive myself. I want this church to outlive my children. I want it to live way longer past our ministries are over if God doesn't come back. I want this church to be a standing light in this community that is unwavering, steadfast, at much past our own short lifetimes. But if that's going to happen, I believe there are certain necessities that we must instill and put in bedrock into our lives that cannot move and will not change. This is certainly not an exhaustive message. This message could go on for a series of all the things we need. This morning I want to look at just a few things that if we want this church to be here for our children, if we want this church to be here for our old age, those of us that aren't there, there are certain things that we must put in place. Or it is guaranteed to fail. Pastor Jeremy, won't you pray for us this morning, please? And you may be seated. My wife and I had the privilege at the end of September to take eight days and celebrate our 10th anniversary. We went out to California and we saw a lot of things. We did a lot of stuff. One of the highlights of our trip, undoubtedly, which was a short period of time, only a couple of hours, as we went there shortly before the sun was going down, but it was worth every minute we spent. We got a privilege to go see the Redwoods in Northern California. You cannot literally describe unless you've been there. It's literally amazing. And as we were walking through these different stands of Redwoods and you're standing next to this tree that's 20 foot in diameter minimum and you can't see the top literally. I mean, you don't look at a tree like this, you look at the tree like this. And it's just amazing as you walk around and look at these trees that just blow your mind at the size. And we are reading all the placards. I like to read placards when I go places. I like to, I like to read. So if it's there, I read it. All right. I've read every label on every shampoo bottle in my shower. <laughs> I read. If I am anywhere, I just read. I love it. So we're walking through the Redwoods and looking at different things. And I saw a placard that just hit me and it got this thought going. And with the Lord's help and and with plenty of scripture as where this message originated was 
in the middle of the redwoods in Northern California. There's not much good comes out of California other than Brother Newcomb. And, uh, um, and, but but that, uh, uh, there, there was a placard I read that got me thinking about this. And this morning, I, what I want to do, and this is a little different for me, it certainly took a lot more time putting it together because this is certainly outside of my comfort zone. As I want to take some things that I learned uh, while studying about redwoods that have a, a, an interesting parallel to what we need in the church. The, one of the great reasons why redwoods can get so big is because they live so long. The average redwood lives to be at least 600 years old. Average. There have been many of them that have lived up to and beyond 2,000 years. They live a long time. And the more I studied redwoods, there was just a word. Not one I made up, not one I just created for the sake of a message, but it just, everywhere I looked and read about redwoods, this word came up continually, and that word was longevity. Everything about redwoods just screamed longevity. They live a long time. A couple of facts about redwoods. I already gave you the age um, just for the sake of interest. For those of you that like this kind of stuff, uh, they can hold up to 34,000 pounds of water. The average redwood weighs well over a million pounds. The average height. Now, now before I go any further, there, don't get confused. I'm not talking about the giant sequoias that are bigger around, all right? The ones I'm going to talk about are called coastal redwoods, which means that they're a little bit more narrow, if you can use that word on a 25-foot round tree. Uh, they're not the ones that the car drives through, okay? They're taller, all right, just not quite as wide, all right? And that's the ones we're going to talk about today, all right? Not the sequoias, all right? Uh, we're talking about, although they're all sequoias, uh, but the, the coastal redwoods is the one I want to talk about. A little bit more narrow, much taller uh, um, the average height is 250 feet tall. They can grow upwards of 350 feet. The tallest tree on record at this point, they actually name the tall ones, which is, I don't understand. I guess you name stars, you might as well name trees. Uh, uh, but it's called Hyperion, wherever that came from. And it is 379.3 feet tall. Which to give you a little bit of reference point, that is taller than formerly known Big Ben in London which is now called Big Beth. I'm not pulling your leg. It is. They renamed it after Queen Elizabeth. All right? It's called Big Beth. I know I laughed for about three weeks after I heard that. <laughs> we thought England was in trouble. Now we know it. But that's, it's taller than Big Ben. I can't even say that with a straight face, so we're going to stick with Big Ben. Approximately only 5% of the Redwoods that existed 150 years ago is still standing today due to extensive logging took place in the late 1800s, early 1900s. So listen, 5% still remain. This morning, I'd like to take some principles from this tree and apply it to the church. You know, I, I believe in the principle that everything's born to die. I do. It's a biblical principle. It's a daily principle we're supposed to live out in our Christian lives. And as long as these redwoods live, they do die eventually. They live a lot longer than you and I do, but they do die. And you know what? I believe Capital City Baptist Church was born to die. But not in my lifetime. Not in my kids' lifetime. And not in their kids' lifetime. 
And I would like to see, although I was born to die, I would like to see in my lifetime, I don't want to see the dying part. I want to see the growing part. I want to see the living part. And as the Redwoods even are named, and it's some technical Latin word, which I'm not even going to say, but they literally have the nickname, and it means in English, everlasting living. Because they just go on. And the more you study, and I can't even get into all of the things that they do today. It's just literally mind-boggling when you compare the Redwood with the church and how we have so many things that we're supposed to do it from the biblical perspective. But let's look at a couple things this morning. The first thing I want to see is this. Their strength or anchor depends on another. Their anchor or strength depends on another. One of the most amazing facts about a redwood they came across is a redwood that's 350 foot tall, its root system is only three to six feet deep. And as it, a million pound tree has a root system of three to six feet deep and a couple hundred feet out. Now you talk to any engineer, anybody that knows anything about anything, that's not going to stay standing very long, except for one difference. One of the things I couldn't help but notice when I was looking through the redwoods, and I wondered why the case was you never see one redwood, ever. You always see them in what they call stands. They're never alone. You, everywhere you look, there's a minimum of 20 to 12 to 25 redwoods and many times way more than that. They always grow in groups, which is amazing having a tree that's 20 feet across and there's 15 of them right there. That doesn't mean they're all going to be the same size, but they're all in a group. And what literally happens to their root system and the reason they don't fall over no matter how windy it gets, no matter how big the storm gets, no matter how bad the fire is, they're just not known for falling over. And they just continue to live and live and live is because although their root system is only three to six foot deep and less out than they are tall, their root system literally grows together and forms a web under the ground. And they don't stand alone. They stand together. A redwood has to have other redwoods to survive. And believe it or not, they're not even prejudiced. If there happens to be an aspen or a pine or some other tree that's in the area, they'll grow right into their root system too. They don't care. They look for anybody, whether it's the same species or not, to partner with them for strength. And may I tell us this morning, Capital City Baptist Church, if we want longevity in this church, if we want this church to outlast this decade alone or this year alone, we must stand together. And I'm not saying just being in the same area. I'm not saying just being within arm's reach. I'm not just saying being in this room here this morning. I'm talking about standing together, growing together, integrating our lives in such a way we cannot separate our families. And if we don't find ways to instill our lives into others and use people's lives to help us and to grow us and to become better people, we will fail. We will die. 
and we will outlive this church. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. Well, I am going to remind myself for the next few minutes as we go through this that I'm not teaching. Because when I teach, my mouth starts moving about a hundred times faster than normal. I want to do an overview of five chapters here in 1 Corinthians quickly. So please just hang on. I promise it's going to have a purpose. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, one of my favorite books in the Bible. So many practical lessons we can learn. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, verse number 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Go to verse number four. It's talking about spiritual gifts in the church. Now there are diversities. Now that is not new information for anybody that knows anything about anybody in this room. There are diversities in this room of gifts, but the same spirit, differences of administration, same Lord, diversities of operation, same God. Manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given, verse number 8, to another the word, verse number 9, to another faith, the end of verse 9, to another gifts, verse 10, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Verse number 11, but all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit. Verse 12, for as the body is one, hath many members, and all members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. We had an unbelievable, wonderful uh, lesson on the, the gifts that pastor taught us not that long ago, determining what our gift is and all of those things. And so I won't dwell here long, but this passage simply is saying this, God did not give one person gifts uh, of prophecy, tongues, uh, uh, um, administration. Uh, he didn't give all the gifts to one person. He didn't give all the gifts to a group of select two persons or three persons. He gave an individual gift to an individual purpose for the collective goal of the church working those gifts together. If we are not working together, if I'm not working collectively with Pastor Mark and Brother Zach and Brother Eric and Brother Sutton, then I am cheating what I can do for God. And I am cheating the impact that I can have on my children. And I'm cheating what I can have and the impact I can have on this church. We need each other. And if we don't learn to depend on each other, this church will never be what it should be and will eventually die. Gifts are not given out in doses of twos and threes. They're given out one at a time. He doesn't give you all of them. He gives you one. And you may have a secondary and a third that are, are littler in those areas. And I understand all of that. But God doesn't give you the whole bucket load. Because he wants you to need Steve. He wants you to need Tom. He needs you to need Bill New. You need each other. And if we don't actively involve people in our lives and in our ministry, then we're not doing what God wants us to do. And we can't do what God wants us to do. We must learn to work together more and more every day. 
We go on, verse 14, the body is not one member but many. If the foot shall say, in verse 16, if the ear shall say. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? He's just uh, reinforcing the principle that you need every single member of the body. Verse 18, but now hath God set the members, every one of them. Every one of them. Your name it should be written next to that every one. God placed you in this church on purpose. And the end of that verse, it says, as it hath pleased him. God didn't just on accident give you the gift he gave you. He gave it to you and put you in this church because we cannot function as a church without you. We are missing an eye. We are missing. God, look, I know the smallest members. Uh, we talk about little things. We were playing ball a couple weeks ago, and I really hurt both of my big toenails. Well, one of them came off. Uh, um, the other one is going to. And uh, um, I'm telling you, it's just a toe. <laughs> but that just that toe makes me walk like I'm 40 years older than I am. It makes me not go play basketball when I really wanted to on Friday night because I didn't want to be limping while I'm preaching this message. It's a small member. It's a member that I give absolutely not an ounce of attention to, but once every so often when the fingernails, the tunnels get too long. I don't even think about it. It never crosses my mind until it's injured. And then it affects the what? Whole body. God put you here as he pleased which means two things. Number one, your job's significant. You're important. It means number two, if you're not doing your job, we're hurting. This church has lost people by many ways. Some by death, some by choice. And you know what it does every time? It hurts. It hurts. And it takes time. It takes time for the body to heal. And the problem is, and what is so dangerous and so hurtful so many times is those members that are here and that are involved aren't doing, we aren't doing what we should do. And the body just lives in a constant state of hurt because we as members aren't doing exactly what we're supposed to do, whether we think it's insignificant, whether we get discouraged, whatever the case, we need and depend on each other. We need each other for strength in this church. Verse 22, name much more of those members of the body which seem to be more feeble or necessary. Those members of the body which we think to be less honorable. Upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. I like verse 24. For our comely parts have no need. Let me ask you this. What real purpose does your face have? I'm not saying that it doesn't have some purpose, but really it has no purpose. Uh, you're not gonna, it's not going to affect the way I, my day goes today. Now, if it hurts, it hurts. I understand that. But the face has really very little to do with my everyday living. All right? I think it does. I spend a lot of time on it. Most of you do too. All right? We, 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 we don't want this to be parked and, and pricked and, and cut. And, but really, what's the purpose of the face? Well, we put a lot of value in it, don't we? What purpose does the lung have? When was the last time you spent any time developing that? 
the point is this. Those things we usually think are the most important. God gives that. They don't even matter. And those of us, and, and many times I know in here, we get discouraged. Man, it doesn't really matter. I'm just doing this or I'm just. We should never, ever get, catch ourselves saying, I'm just doing. No, I get to do. This is a valuable part of the body. If I don't do this, there's going to be a hurt. If I don't fulfill my responsibility, we are going to be in trouble. Verse number 25, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Verse 31, covet earnestly the best gifts, but yet show I unto you a more excellent way. So verse number 12 gives us, or chapter number 12 gives us the importance of gifts. Everybody has them. And your gift is vital to this church and its strength. So don't ever minimize that. You need that. We need to make sure that we're developing that all the time. And then at the end of verse, chapter 12, Paul says, wait a minute, there's something better than gifts. Wow, gifts are pretty cool. So if there's something better, I wonder what that is. Well, we don't even need to read the chapter. We know what it is. What is it? Love. The Bible says you have gifts and you don't have love. You're worthless. You are absolutely worthless. So God says you can't just have what I give you. If that's a wonderful thing, develop it and use it. But if you don't do it in love, then there's no use. There's no use at all. We've got to have those gifts with great love. So the Bible says you've got to have gifts. Then you've got to have love. And then chapter number 14, and this is where I'm going to kind of just really start skipping around on verses because we don't have time to digest every single aspect of this. And chapter number 14, verse number one, follow after charity. All right, continue to go after it. Don't ever let it go. Follow it, follow it. And desire spiritual gifts. He said, but I'm going to add something else to it. But rather... Now, you got to have love first. God gives you gifts. These are all in order on purpose. Rather that you what? Prophesy. Does that mean that we're going to stand up and say the end of the world is coming October the 12th of 2013? For some people, yes. But not for biblical people. That's not prophecy. What is prophecy? Telling people, hey, look, you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to end up over here. That's prophecy. Prophecy says, the Bible says that if I'm going to live according to the word of God, I'm going to live a holy life. That's prophecy. And if I don't live a holy life, then this is what you got in store. That's prophecy. Prophecy is telling people the truth about where their actions are going to take them. And so we have chapter 14, which we're not going to get into, which just gives the significance of prophecy, saying, you know what? Tongues really don't matter, and we're not going to get into debate on tongues today. Tongues really don't matter. Prophecy, prophecy. you got to have gifts. God wants you to use them. But then you have to have love, and you got to have love before you have prophecy, because if you don't have love mixed with prophecy, right, you turn into an arrogant fool that nobody wants to be around. And we got to have this is all in order. God says, look, you got to have gifts so that you, you need each other, but you need each other with love. But you can't just have gifts and love. You need to tell each other, hey, brother, this is what we need to do. This is the direction we need to go. This is where my family needs to be headed. This is what the church needs. And we prophesy by saying, let's do this because it's going to reap this because it's a biblical principle. Let's not do this. That's prophecy. And we go through chapter 14. And at the end of chapter 14, it talks about everything decently and in order. And then chapter 15, it tells you what you're supposed to prophesy. It's the gospel. It's just simply the gospel. Chapter 15 gives you, you've got to prophesy the gospel. Go out and tell everybody about Christ. 
He said, first of all, you need each other. You got to get together. And once you do get together, you got to love each other. And then you need to help each other to do right. And then you need to tell everybody else about what God's done for you. First Corinthians 15. That he was died and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And then verse chapter 15 goes on about uh, different things that are going to happen in the future. And we get the whole purpose of chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15 at the end of chapter 15. Go to the end of chapter 15. We get the wonderful uh, proclamation of real prophecy, which means in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. All right, the rapture is going to happen and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. And then we get to verse number 57 and 58. Here's the purpose of everything that we've talked about, 12, 13, 14, and 15. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, when we've heard this so many times, anytime there's a therefore, see what it is, therefore. And I just did that, so we don't have to go back and do that. We know what it's there for. All right, 12, 13, 14, 15. All of that culminates to verse number 58. Therefore be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Gifts, you've got to have them and we need, I need your gift because I don't have it. We've got to grow together in our gifts. We can't just have gifts, we've got to have love added to it. And then when we have love added to those gifts, God says, good, prophesy. Tell people this is what's going to happen if they go this way. Tell people that they need to be saved and born again. And once they are, you disciple them and you prophesy. You tell them the truth about what's going to happen in their actions. And this is all you're going to do. And what's the purpose of these things? So that you can be steadfast, unmovable. So that no matter the storms, no matter the wind, no matter the trials, no matter the heartaches, you're not going to fall over. You're not going to just fall apart. If you add all these things to your life in the end, and look at what the end of verse 58, and this is what everybody in life is looking for. Call it what you want, happiness, money, it all falls under the same category. The end of verse 58, for as much as you know that your labor is not in what? In vain. You add up all these things, you know what your life's going to have? Meaning. I want my life to mean something. I want it to have value at the end. You know how you're going to have value? Get gifts and use everybody else's. Use them together. Then you got to add love. And then with that love prophecy. And with that, you're going to be steadfast because no matter what's going to happen, you're going to have each other. You're going to be able to grow with each other. You're going to have the love that it takes to hold everybody together and prophesy and tell each other and do all these things. And they all add up to what? Meaning. Purpose. So that when the storms come, I can be steadfast, unmovable. And my life can actually have a purpose in it. So many verses to go to. Go over just two chapters. Ephesians chapter, or not two chapters, you're not in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number four. There's so many passages talking about there's better. Ecclesiastes chapter four tells us two is better than one and a threefold cord is not soon broken. All right, that's a principle through scripture. There's strength in numbers. There just is. It's a biblical principle. That's why God ordained the church because we need each other and we, we've got to grow together. Our root system's got to be steadfastly webbed together, not able to come apart no matter what we do. Ephesians chapter four Verse number one, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. 
I'm not going to get into all of this. Verse 4, there is one body, one Lord. This is, a, this is talking to the church. This is specific principles to the church. We get the gifts again in verse number 11. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Verse 14 Here's another reason why, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Here's that prophecy again, speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head even Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. You see how those, those words just keep coming back up, gifts and love and prophecy and these principles come up. Why? for the edifying of the church, to build up the church. You know, you know what's going to keep us from um, being dissuaded by false doctrine? Chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15 of 1 Corinthians. Working together, being accountable to each other, being responsible to each other, to learning how to be humble. You know, it takes humility to depend on each other. This is why we don't do it. I don't want to have to ask him for help. You know what? You might be able to do that job. You might be able to do that task. But what's the harm in doing it better and exerting less energy? I'm not even old. I'm not even middle age. I'm already looking for people to do things for me. Like, man, I can't do this forever. Who in the world can I talk into helping me with this? Hey, and it's more than that as a church in every aspect that we do, in every ministry, in every responsibility. I'm not good at soul winning, so what am I going to do? I'm going to ask somebody who is. Hey, look, you're really good at communicating with people, Pastor Mark. Can you go with me and show me? In every aspect. You know what it takes? It takes just a little humility. So you know what? I need you to be the person I need to be. And the danger of this, the flip side of this is, is always this. You watch a person that walks away from any church, this church, any church, one of the first things you start seeing them doing is they start isolating themselves from the rest of the church. And you'll find them hanging out with one of two people all the time. You know what? Mark it down. It's only a matter of time. They're leaving. You know why? Because they have isolated themselves from the strength. And so all it's going to take And if we don't, as a church, find a way, every 
person sitting here today, myself included, find a way to web our lives into each other more than we ever have before. There's only so much wind and rain and storms that we're going to be able to handle. And sooner or later, if we don't, as a church, web ourselves in together by using each other's gifts and loving on each other and prophesying with each other and doing all of these things together, there's going to be a time when the devil's going to come by and it's not going to take much it won't even be classified as a hurricane it won't even be a tropical storm it probably won't even be a thunderstorm it'll be fog and we're over how many lives have you interwoven yourself into how many people in this building are you dependent on You're only as strong as the amount of people you depend on. Not only do they get their strength from others, number two, their aptitude depends on adaptability. Their aptitude depends on their adaptability. Aptitude is just a fancy word for capable. Apt. You're fit to do the job that you're called to do. If we're as a church going to be able to be fit for the job that God wants us to do, the ministry, the calling, the gift, whatever you fill in the blank, there's going to have to be adaptability. Floods are one of the most common things that destroy trees. Because with a flood comes a great rise in soil. And what happens is, is when a flood is over, any of you that have been in a flood, I haven't. So I basically have to go off of what I've read. That floods move a lot of dirt. All right, It's not just water. All right, They fill your house with water. They also fill it with dirt. And what kills most trees and smothers almost all trees is the sediment that comes in and will raise the soil level a foot, two feet, depending on the flood, could be much as seven or eight feet. And when that soil raises against and raises the soil level of the tree, it makes so that the roots are too far below the surface and they can't get the water that's needed to sustain the growth of the tree and the tree dies. Redwoods are different. Redwoods can survive floods because if a rise in soil comes to where the root system, which is only three to six foot below the surface to begin with, if the soil raises two to three feet, which would kill any other tree, you know what a redwood does? It sends out a brand new set of roots closer to the surface. It just grows another root system. You know what it does in order to get the water it needs? It raises the roots. You know what it does? It adapts. You know why? Because without that water, it's going to die. I don't know about you. How many of you guys are less busy than you were last year? Than you were five years ago? It's the exception, not the rule. We all get more and more busy. Life just gets crazy. We start saying things like, I'm just treading water here. Right? Or I'm drowning. We use those statements loosely, but this morning, can we just put a little bit further implication into that? 
You know what's going to happen? The longer we live, the harder it's going to get. The soil's going to just keep rising and rising and rising. And it's going to get harder and harder for us to get the water of the word into our lives. And you know what you're going to have to do in order to make sure that the water of the word finds its place into your root system? Adapt. You've got to learn to change. You've got to learn to do whatever it takes to get the word, the water of the word, inside. And if we don't adapt to that, we will die. And I'm not going to go on this extensively because Pastor just preached an incredible message on this just two weeks ago about the necessity of the word of God in our lives. And I'm not going to hit that point again. But I just want to say this morning, if we cannot find a way to adapt to the rising level of responsibilities in our lives and make sure that the water of the word finds its way into the root of our hearts, you can kiss this church goodbye. It's not the only way that the redwood adapts. They have things called burls. And this is new to me too. Many of you probably already know about this. But a burl is, for lack of a better term, is simply a small seedling that lies dormant in the average redwood tree. And the redwood, when it is healthy, sends out particular chemicals that restrain that burl from doing anything, and it lies dormant. But what happens is anytime there is a stress to the tree, whether an injury from fire, from whatever the case might be, anytime an injury comes against the tree, it is weakened and the restraints that that tree normally has in place for those burls has to weaken. And when that happens, the burls take off. And literally, they spring to life. They become their own little organism on the tree. And so if you were to go to a redwood tree and take a hammer or uh, an axe or whatever the case and make a mark in that tree and come back a year later, that mark will be covered up. It covers its own injuries on small scales and large scales. And if a burl actually takes place under the surface, that burl can grow so far and so fast, it can eventually become its own redwood tree. So literally, a redwood produces growth out of injury. And if you want to apply that directly to the Christian life in the church today, I see this real simply played out in the area of forgiveness. Because forgiveness lies dormant within our lives. There's no need until there's an injury. And when that injury comes by another person, by the devil, by whatever the case might be, and we are hurt, guess what? That grace that God gave us at salvation has a chance to come to life. And that grace that God wants us to use becomes forgiveness in the aspect of a wound or something that is broken. And if we are going to have any sort of aptitude, if we're going to be capable to do what God wants us to do a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, we are going to have to learn that when there's an injury, when there's a hurt, when there's a fire, whatever the case might be, and there's an open wound, we exercise what God gave us through the avenue of grace called forgiveness, and we heal that over. Forgiveness has so many benefits. You know, forgiveness promotes protection. 
Or you got that injury, it's open, it's wounded. Uh, anybody that, that deals with trees knows it. Anytime you cut and you leave a raw opening, you always put something over that so that the disease and insects and things don't get into that. And many times, Pastor Ben knows much more about this than I do. They use that black paint. I know we used to use that way back when. I don't know what they use now. Uh, um, but use that black paint to cover up that so you don't have an open wound. And a redwood has within itself that ability to cover that up already. And God has given us as Christians within us what's called grace. And without taking too much time, we wish we could take the time to get into the verses about what grace is and how God gave it to us and the purpose of it in our life. And that purpose of grace in our life is for the aspect of forgiveness. It's no good if it's just inside. You've got to use it. That forgiveness promotes protection. It promotes protection from bitterness. We know what bitterness does. It literally destroys your life. You will become useless overnight. God can't do nothing with you. You turn into a Saul or an Esau. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 14 and 15. But you know what? It doesn't just provide protection from bitterness. It provides protection from Satan. Go to first, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 2. 2 Corinthians chapter number 2. I'm, this, this passage just... I know I've heard this preached before. It just became anew all over yesterday. It was, it was exciting. Verse number five, but if I have caused any grief, he have not grieved me, but in part that I may not overcharge you all. Second Corinthians 2 verse 6, sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many. Verse seven, so that contrary wise, ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Verse 10, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. And then he gives you the all-important why. Why do you forgive? Verse number 11, lest Satan should get what? An advantage over us. You know, I don't know about you, but Satan's a pretty big foe. And he means business. And I don't know about you, but I would like it if I never, ever face him off, ever. But let me tell you this. If you don't forgive readily, if you ever have a one-on-one confrontation with Satan, it's as if saying, all right, Satan, I'm going to spot you a lap. Go ahead, take a lap. Giving him an advantage. That's like getting in a fight with Satan and saying, Satan, you pick the weapons. I don't know about you. I'm not strong enough for that. And you know what we do when we refuse grace to others and hold that forgiveness? Not only do we leave an open wound that leaves us susceptible to all kinds of craziness. The Bible says you just give an advantage to Satan. Satan, go ahead. I'm going to do it with my hand tied behind my back, Satan. It's not going to work. If we want to have sustenance, if we want to have longevity in this church, those bros, not only they promote protection, they produce growth. You know, forgiveness is what made it possible for us to be saved. Forgiveness is what is necessary for us to be Christians. Just like he said the other night, just because you're saved doesn't mean you're a Christian, which is Christ-like. And you know what? If you're not, if you're not just overflowing with forgiveness continually, you're not Christ-like. Because forgiveness is at the heart of everything we think and we believe about Christianity. And without forgiveness, we're not Christ-like. But it promotes growth. Look, look, at, look at 
Okay. Stephen. He's being stoned, right? Acts chapter number seven. Who's holding the coats? Saul, right? Saul's holding the coats. And what does Peter, Stephen say? Lay not this sin to their charge. What is that? We would call that simply forgiveness. Now, I, I can't prove this. But don't you think just possibly maybe that made an impact on a young man named Saul's life? And possibly if we don't even take that much of a quantum leap here, the greatest apostle that ever walked the face of the earth was a product of an act of forgiveness. You know what forgiveness will always do? Produce growth. It always produces growth. It produces growth in your life and produces growth in people's lives. And you know what people in the world are really looking for? They're looking for forgiveness. They're looking for grace. They're looking for something that they can't explain. And you can't explain forgiveness except Christ. And if we want to see growth in this church, if we want, just as a redwood has to protect itself in order to keep growing and to keep going up and to keep living longer a life, they have to keep protecting themselves. And every time something gets hurt, they got to just cover it up. If we don't continually lose that, use that forgiveness, we're not going to grow. There's not going to be substantial growth in this church. There's not going to be any longevity in this church if we don't actively use forgiveness in our lives. Last of all, we see their age is dependent on adversity. Their age is dependent on adversity. The placard that got my attention that started this whole process in my mind was a plaque that said something to the effect of, I wish I'd have taken a picture of it. Said that the tree bark of a redwood is about a foot thick. And the more I read about it, this bark is amazing. There's no sap in it. There's no pitch, which is very fire, promotes fires. No pitch. No, no, no sap. There's two substances called tannin and something else. Um... They're extremely fireproof. And they said that when they started implicating fire reduction plans, you know, whatever they call that stuff, where they you know, prevent, forest, you know, prevent forest fires type of thing, and they stopped all forest fires. You know what started happening to the redwoods? They started dying. They started dying. They started dying because there was no fire. And you know what they started doing? They started building and starting controlled fires to promote the health of the redwoods. You see, the bark on a redwood literally, when it goes into a fire, turns into a heat shield. Similar to the heat shields that they use on re-entry vehicles coming back in from outer space. It literally turns into a heat shield. And the inside of the tree is unharmed no matter the fire. They even went on to say that the more intense the fire, the more growth it promoted. Can I remind us this morning, as Christians, we're built for fire. God built us for fire. I was talking to Kyle a couple weeks ago. 
when he was here, one of the late nights we were up. It, had to, it was morning time, I guarantee you that. So I'm not quite sure how sound our doctrine was. But we got to talking about how people that leave and young people like myself that have grown up in church and then leave and how difficult it is to come back and all of those things and, and how the odds are just against them. Once they leave, coming back is so hard. And he was talking about how somebody he knew uh, had gone away, gotten out of church and was really trying to come back. And he said, I believe this person wants to come back with all their heart. I really believe that they mean it. I believe that they're sorry for what they did. I believe they're trying with everything they have. He said, but I don't see it working for him. And we got to thinking about why. Why is it that when you leave, it's so hard to come back? And I don't know for sure, but one of my theories is this. One of the reasons why we grow up in this and we just leave is we just get tired of fighting. We just want to be. I guess you just, we just want to go be like everybody else. I want to fight the, the, the standards. I don't want to fight this. And I don't want to, so we just, we don't, we get tired of fighting. And I think one of the reasons why it's so hard for somebody to come back when they left is because their fight's still not back. They never had it. And because there's no fight, they come back. And the first time it gets difficult, man, that was so hard. I forgot how hard this was. The fight's not back. And I'm telling you, as, as a church, we've got to have the fight. We can't give it up. And the moment that we get tired of the fire, it's the moment we start to rot from the inside out. You see, the fire is essential because not only does it strengthen the, 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 the trees uh, in their antibodies built up against it, but it, it, all the undergrowth gets too big. And you know what that undergrowth does? It keeps the water from making it to the roots. You know why you need fire? To cleanse you. Isn't that what fire is all about? Refining fire. In uh, Isaiah chapter 48, God said, look, I refined you. And the purpose for that refining was for my name's sake. I didn't want you to pollute my name. So I refined you. And oftentimes we get in the fire and we're like, God, why this? Why this? God's saying, look, your life, the way it's going, you're polluting my name. And the only way to get the dross out of there is to put you through a little fire. Zechariah chapter 13, verse number nine, he said, there's another purpose for refining. Reconciliation. You know why God puts us through fires? Because our heart gets backwards. He not only wants to make us pure and, and more honoring in our lives and, and more Christ-like, he says, look, sometimes you're just backwards. Your perspective's all wrong. You're living for yourself. Your life's completely consumed with yourself. So I need to send a little fire. You know why? I want you back. I want you back. In church, the fires come for a purpose. I'm not about to say you got to love them. That's not reality. And certainly don't start him. That's not your job. <laughs> but don't give up on the fight. Because it's in a fire when the good, good stuff starts. The three Hebrew children would have never walked with God if they hadn't been in the fire. I wonder how many of us cheat ourselves. We just get tired of fighting. God, this fire's too hot. Nah, you were designed for it. First Corinthians chapter number 10. God is able 
who will make, he'll make a way of escape. He knows you can handle it. You got it in you. He built you for it. You can handle it. And church, I'm telling you, if we want to have longevity in this church, when the fires come, buck up. We don't have to love it. We don't have to just look forward to it. But embrace the reality that they're coming. And, re- and remember that this is where we grow. If there's no fire, there's no growth. If there's no fire, we can't get rid of those things that hinder us in our walk with God. You've got to have that fire. We need each other. We need the book. We need forgiveness. You know, one of the interesting facts about Redwoods is this. (laughs) This is a whole other message in and of itself. They just reproduce themselves no matter what. It is ridiculous. I'm serious. If one actually does fall over, you know what the limbs that are pointing up do? Just keep growing. The tree's dead. You know what the limbs do? They grow up. And under the right conditions, they'll turn into their own redwood tree. You hurt, uh, uh, the root system of a, of a, a redwood gets hurt. That bro comes in. You know what that bro will do? Turn into a redwood tree. They've taken those burls, eliminated them from a redwood tree, put them in a pan of water, and they just keep growing. They don't stop. They just grow and grow and grow and grow. You know what we've got to do? We've just got to grow. It doesn't matter the fire. It doesn't matter if the devil knocks us down. It doesn't matter if we fall down on our own. You know what we do? We just grow. We just say, God, fine. I'm leaning over this time, but I can still honor you. I can still praise you. I can still shoot this up here for you. It may not be what it's supposed to be. And, and, and when, when I'm gone and when I'm, I have passed off of this life, you know what that dead redwood I want it to do? I want it to still be sprouting up. I want growth to be taking place when I'm long gone. But the only way that's going to happen is if we ground ourselves into each other, if we get in the word constantly, we use forgiveness on a daily basis, and we take that fire and say, God, I don't like this. I don't understand it. But I'm going to fight this thing, and I'm going to stay at this thing, and I'm never going to give up on this thing. Because I know when all this happens, growth. And that growth is what ultimately honors God. Two greatest causes for redwoods to die. Lack of water, lack of fire. Which one's lacking in your life? The bark of a redwood is not only impervious to fire, literally impervious to fire. It's impervious to disease and insects. There is not an insect on this planet that we know of that can kill a redwood. Not possible. That's why it was mined so heavily. They would put them on the outside of the houses because insects would not eat it. Termites won't eat it. They won't touch it. And they, started, they put it on the outside of thousands of homes in the early 1900s because there, it was insect-proof and fireproof. It was the safest word. It was a hardwood. It's hardy. There's lots of it. I mean, the, the biggest tree, they got like 20, I want to say somewhere, not 20, like 69,000 board feet out of one tree. I mean, this tree's amazing. But they are literally impervious to anything from without. No fire, no bugs, no disease has no effect on a redwood. None. Floods, bring it on. 
We'll just grow another root system. But there's two things that'll kill them. Lack of water. Lack of fire. And they both are coinciding. One of the reasons why redwoods also don't burn is if it does get through the bark, there's so much water in a redwood tree, the tree itself resists the fire. That's why I, this was one of the things that I didn't understand until just two days ago. I'm walking through these redwoods, and there's a redwood stand, and it was only about, only about 10 foot across. And literally the inside of the tree for about 10 feet was gone. It had been completely burnt out. There was nothing. It was just a shell. It was like a foot around, all the way around. That was it. And the bark. It was gone on the inside. And it was still thriving. Because it just keeps going. They don't die. Even the fire that got to the bottom of the redwood, it didn't matter because there was so much water in the rest of the tree. It just kept going. Kept living. I want a church that no matter the fire, no matter the flood, no matter the storm, we just keep going. We just keep growing. I don't want to be a 20-foot tall redwood. That's ap- I don't want to be 250-foot tall. That's average. I want to be 350, 370, 380. And it's only going to happen if we instill in our lives and in this church those principles that come from the Word of God that we hear so consistently on a weekly basis.